0: Welcome to the UNT-BSM Audio Resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to UNTBSM.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, uh, I'm Dustin. I'm the college pastor at C3. And uh, I'm extremely happy to get to worship with uh, our C3 band and one of, my, one of uh, the leaders for the college ministry asked if, when Nathan and I were little kids in elementary school, if I ever thought that we would be kind of tag-teaming a worship deal like this. And, and I said, no way, you didn't want me preaching back in high school, you know. So uh, the Lord has done great things in my life. So we're going to uh, start with praying for one of the nations of this world, Uh, As is common each night at Crave, so we're praying for South Korea. Please bow your head with me, Lord. I thank you uh, for the mighty things you've done in South Korea. I thank you for the great revival that you have that you brought to South Korea. uh, That that the world is still feeling the impact of. uh, That South Korea sends missionaries to us. Thank you for that, Lord. God, we pray that you will equip their churches to do the work of the gospel uh, in their uh, country, that, that even though there is a huge presence of the Christian church there, Lord, that they, they still need you to move in a mighty way, just like we need you to move here in a mighty way. So, Lord, will you empower their, their uh, teachers and pastors to preach and teach your gospel? Uh, and will you break through uh, their hearts uh, the hearts of the South Korean people, uh, and will you move their hearts in uh, sacrificial love for their North Korean uh, uh, neighbors, uh, that, they can, that they can love and serve their neighbor um, the way that you tell us to and that you tell them to, Jesus, to love those who uh, uh, seek to do you harm. So, Lord, we want to see the world revived, and Lord, we want to see South Korea just uh, moved in power. Jesus' name. Thank you. So uh, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 4, actually. I think the page number is right, 427, if you're in the BSM Bible, but it's Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. The temptation of Jesus. So I hope to get two main points across tonight. The first one uh, is clarity on temptation versus Sin, and the second one is clarity on the gospel. I want to preach the gospel. So before we even read any of the scripture, I just want to go ahead and get point one completely out of the way. Uh, the, if, uh, in my Bible, this chapter is titled "The Temptation of Jesus." So I just want to point something out that I think it's incredibly important for Christians to see, and for college students especially to see, that temptation and sin are not the same thing. And you may think, of course, they're not the same thing. They're two different words. But I think the thing that happens very often is that as soon as you start to feel tempted, you start to feel dirty, like you're a a big fat sinner. And I think that the devil would love to have you believe that as soon as you are tempted, you have sinned a friend of mine came to me and told me that he had had a really hard uh, sorry a really bad week with lust and pornography so can we talk about lust and pornography at the bsm in, in point number 1 so he he said that he had a really bad week with lust and pornography so i asked uh, what he meant by that to be more specific i didn't i th- i thought he meant he'd lusted a whole bunch and looked at pornography, Uh, but he was trying to say I had a bad week because he didn't really want to confess all the way, but when he started explaining it, he said that, well, Monday, I just, I was really just, I just had all these thoughts in my head, and and so I I went to my computer, and I, I opened it up, and I was about to go to a website, and then I was just like, no, what are you doing, man, and so I shut the computer, and then like three hours later, you know, i I just, I went back to the computer and I, I opened it up and I, I even started like typing this website and then I was like, no! What are you doing, man? So I shut it and then it, that happened on Tuesday, that happened on Thursday. I had a bad week with lust and pornography and I thought, that sounds like you had a hard week of temptation. I asked him, uh, did, you, did you end up looking at pornography? And he was like, and he was like no, but I wanted to every day. And, and what had happened, he got the wires crossed. He thought, he was, think, he was feeling like his temptation was the same thing as sin. And, and as soon as he started to feel tempted, uh, the devil nestled up beside him and was like, you see, you're still, you're still just a big, fat sinner. So just, just go ahead and wallow in your sin. But the thing is, he hadn't sinned yet. And so point number one of the talk tonight, you've got to know, that when you are tempted is when you can fight. If you start feeling tempted and you immediately think, I'm just a worthless sinner, I've already sinned, then you won't have any fight to put up. You'll just sin. And sexual temptation is a a major one for everybody, especially uh, in college. Uh, That's one that comes to mind immediately just because you can have a thought come to your mind And at at that moment, you're being tempted. Will you indulge in that thought, or will you uh, resist temptation? And so, right from the gate, we have to say temptation is not the same thing as sin, because Jesus was tempted, and we're going to look at that. So, if temptation and sin are the same thing, then Jesus would be a sinner, right? But temptation is not sin. So great, now I have the rest of the time to preach the gospel. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So stop right there. Let's look at who is doing what. Jesus, the Son of God, is led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Jesus is led by God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God said, I will take Jesus out and let the enemy, my enemy, tempt him. So why? Why does God lead Jesus out and and toss him to the devil? I think there are two main reasons. Uh, One is that Jesus' temptation sort of exemplifies and solidifies his humanity. And it is absolutely necessary for Jesus to be human. Jesus is in the business of coming to us, entering into humanity, suffering with us. And as he suffers temptation, he's suffering with us. And the scripture, uh, the, uh, the reflection verse even said, uh, it quoted a different scripture. Jesus was tempted in every way but without sin. So he was tempted in every way, and that suffering makes him like us, human. Of course, Jesus is also completely divine. That's another uh, topic for another Crave Night, but Jesus is tempted because Jesus has to be human for him to be the high priest uh, that will be the high priest forever and is still the high priest because a high priest had to be uh, an Israelite and so Jesus is human. Now he's the high priest. But the other reason why he was led out into the wilderness is sort of this larger uh, picture and I believe spiritual redemption that has to happen. So Jesus, uh, look at uh, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Needless to say, 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. So he's in the wilderness. And he's been there 40 days and 40 nights. So Israel was in Egypt and led out of Egypt by the Spirit of God. They were led through uh, the waters of the Red Sea. And the scripture in another place uh, compares Israel going through the waters of the Red Sea with baptism. And you remember from last week, Jesus was baptized. So Jesus was led through the water. Israel was led by God out into the wilderness where Israel was tempted by the devil and Israel failed and failed and failed. Jesus was led by God through the waters of the Jordan and then out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil so that he could win. God was setting Jesus up to win a very important battle because it's the very same battle that Israel has already lost. And Israel was led through the Red Sea into the wilderness, and then they were led out of the wilderness into the promised land through the Jordan. Jesus was led from the promised land to be baptized in the Jordan and then led from there to the wilderness. Now, he may have gone to some other wilderness, but he may have gone back into the very same wilderness that Israel was in. So here's Jesus, the one man representing Israel, tempted by the devil. Uh, Let's see what happens. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So, why would that be a sin? Have you ever thought of that? Why would it be a sin for Jesus to command the stones to become bread? Jesus did food miracles uh, later on, and they weren't sins. He turned water into wine. And he did a bread miracle more than once where he multiplied bread to feed a bunch of people. So, why would it be a sin for him to turn uh, a stone into bread? It is because the devil is not necessarily trying to get Jesus to do a sin. He wants Jesus to believe a sin. He says, If you are the Son of God, then do this. Do this proof to prove it to me, to prove it to you, to prove it to the world. And that is the oldest trick in the book. Literally, the oldest trick in the Bible. The devil goes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say that if you take that apple, or whatever it was, you know, the apple, that you will die? Did he really say? If you rewind a couple of verses into the end of verse, uh, chapter 3, it says, God said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So the devil is saying, well, it worked well with Adam. Let's see if it will work with the second Adam. And he says, essentially, did God really say, you're the son of God? If he did, then prove it with this. But Jesus responds with the timeless, it is written. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this verse he is quoting from the Old Testament He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. So write that down. Don't go look it up now. But Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy is the second time that Moses gave the law to, to Israel. And where were they? In the wilderness. So Jesus is in the wilderness as Israel. The devil comes to him and tries to get him to fall. And Jesus quotes uh, the, the uh, Old covenant, the Old Testament, from a a book that was given to Israel in the wilderness. So he's saying, I see what's going on, I'm in the wilderness, you're the devil, and I'm not going to lose the same way that Israel lost. So he takes back that ground from the devil by quoting the scripture, and then the devil takes it up a notch, uh, spiritually and scripturally. So it says, verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, And said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So now the devil is using Scripture also. So now we've got a Scripture dogfight. It is written. He will command his angels concerning you from the Psalms. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So now the devil has done something pretty radical spiritually. He took Jesus out of the wilderness, and put him someplace. He physically moved him. Or perhaps he he showed him some kind of vision, but it says he took him out of the wilderness, put him on top of the temple, and told him basically the same. He's testing him with the same thing, but he he cranks it up a notch by quoting scripture. Uh, And he says, if you are the son of God. So he still wants him to, to, to ask, did God really say? And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that, you can make a note, is from Deuteronomy 6, 16. So it's still Deuteronomy. So Jesus is is sort of saying, yes, you've taken me out of the wilderness, but I still know that this is the wilderness where you're expecting me to fall. And I'm still in in Deuteronomy, the, the word of God, And I will not fall. I will not test God. And if you'll read uh, about uh, that Deuteronomy 6.16, Israel tested God by grumbling about their food. God said, I'm going to give you bread from heaven and you're going to eat it and it's going to keep you healthy and everything's going to be good. And they tested him by grumbling and saying, okay, so miraculous food. Okay, what about some meat? Miraculous food that we just go walk out and pick up, but, but, but can we get some meat? And so uh, God gave them meat, but it angered him. And it angered him because they tested him by grumbling and complaining. So Jesus reaches back into Deuteronomy and quotes this to stave off the devil yet again. So then the devil takes it up another notch. He takes the church gloves off, and he takes Jesus... Uh, Well, here, let's just read it. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So he's not trying to trick Jesus into asking, did God really say? He's going straight for uh, he's going straight for the jugular on this one. He wants Jesus to break the first commandment, which is, You shall have no other gods before me. But what does Jesus say? Before we get to what he says, I feel like we have to address what he does not say. There is a, a theology going around in Western Christianity that the devil cannot touch a Christian. Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, devil. I am a Christian. I am the only Christian. And the devil has no power over Christians. The devil has no ability to touch or harm or hurt or talk to or scare or physically lift up and take someplace. The devil doesn't have any authority to do that over a Christian. So, sorry. He doesn't say that. Because that theology is, I think it's born from something good. It's born from... We have such a big God uh, that the devil, by comparison, is quite weak. But I believe that we, tr- we like to say the devil is weak. The devil's a wimp. The devil's a loser. The devil can't do anything to a Christian because uh, we want to feel safe. And that theology allows you to feel safe without God. It allows you to feel like, I'm okay because the devil's a wimp. Who needs God? Jesus is okay with a very big, very powerful, very devil. Because he has a very big God. Jesus' God is bigger. So what does he say? He says, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the devil wants him to break the first commandment. And Jesus basically just quotes the first commandment for why he's not going to break the first commandment. He doesn't say a few things that would be true. He doesn't say, I am going to serve God because that's better for me. I'm going to serve God because he loves me, because he uh, cares about me more than you do, because he doesn't say, I'm going to serve God because I want to go to heaven. He simply appeals to the first commandment the greatest commandment. He later says that it's the greatest commandment not to have any God before God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, mind, soul, and strength. You shall worship the Lord your God and, on, uh, and him only shall you serve. So he clings to uh, the uh, word of God that was given to Israel in the wilderness. So what we've seen is how Jesus responds to temptation. And I guess we should read verse 11 For the glorious finale. Then the devil left him. And behold angels came. And were ministering to him. So Jesus won. Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. God chose Adam. Created him. Told him what to do. And Adam failed. God chose Israel. To be his representation on the earth. He told him what to do. And then they all failed. And then you can go down the line throughout biblical history. God chose David. David failed. God chose Solomon. Solomon failed. On down the line until he gets to Jesus. He chooses Jesus. He tells him what to do. And Jesus goes out and conquers in the wilderness. So the reflection question is, what do you do when you are tempted? Or what was it exactly? How do you respond to temptation. So probably, as you've been listening to this, you've been hearing these things that Jesus did. Uh, and you've been thinking, yes, that's what I need to do uh, with temptation. So what did Jesus do? He didn't rely on his feelings. He was hungry, but he didn't let his feelings direct him. He didn't let his desires direct him. He relied on scripture, the word of God. He responded to temptation with, it is written. So, he had to know the word of God when the devil came to him. He had to have the word of God in him. He had to be abiding in the word of God so that when he was pressed, the word of God would come out and not some other uh, kind of response. So, response to temptation starts now. starts when you're not tempted. It starts with uh, pouring over the scriptures and abiding in the scriptures and letting the scriptures fill you so that when you are pressed, the scripture comes out. Jesus has gone before us, and he has shown us in this, we see a a clear example of how to powerfully stand against the devil, quoting scripture, relying on scripture, living in scripture, and trusting that what God says is true. So you have to know the promises of God because they have to be in you. So when you're, when you're pressed, they come out. You have to know the promises of God, and you have to believe the promises of God, uh, because the devil wants to get you to sin first in your mind, and your, with your beliefs. You will do with your body what is uh, wrought in the mind, what starts in the mind. If he can trick you, if he can, if he can convince you that what God has said is not true, or somehow uh, less good for you, then he can get you to sin so jesus has gone before us he showed us what to do he's been the perfect example and trusting in this counts as trusting in scripture trusting in this uh, chapter that we've gotten to read counts you you bring you breathe that in you live it it becomes a part of you and when you are tempted that comes out so i have told you and I'm going to, that I was going to give you uh, more clarity on temptation and sin, and which, which was that temptation and sin are not the same thing. And you shouldn't respond to temptation the same way you respond to sin. You shouldn't respond to temptation in shame. But I also told you I was going to preach the gospel. So, don't nod or like give me a thumbs up or say yes or anything. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to... Just answer it in a word in your head, but don't let anybody know except for God what you're saying. So my question is, did I preach the gospel? I showed you Jesus and his temptation and his, his powerful victory over Satan. Uh, I, I showed you that Jesus is the perfect example, that he went before us, that he that he cleared the way powerfully for you uh, to follow him and live a, a Christian life of power. I believe I've given you good biblical teaching that will help your Christian life. But I have not preached the gospel. And I think it's incredibly important for you guys to know when you've heard the gospel and when you haven't heard the gospel. I've taught, I taught the Bible, hopefully well, I hopefully taught the Bible well, but I didn't preach the gospel. So did you say, when I asked, did I preach the gospel, did you think, no, he hadn't gotten there. He gave us a bunch of methods. Uh, he told us about Jesus, and, and talking about Jesus is not bad. Giving methods for how to live the Christian life is not bad, but if you don't, if you're not preached the gospel, then you're not going to be able to do the methods, and the sad thing is, and I and I, I thought about uh, saying this here, and and I just I I, I don't want to come across as arrogant or anything. I want to be low and small, but I believe that that it's important to say that that in our Christian culture there are churches that teach about Jesus and they teach how to live a Christian life and they'll tell you good things to do to le- to lead a Christian life and how to be victorious, uh, but they are not actually preaching the gospel. Th- and the teaching is good, and we have to have it. And I just feel I feel s- small even saying this, because who am I to like point the finger at Western Christianity and say, you're not preaching the gospel. Um, but this is something I've noticed. And it took me a long time to notice when I was and wasn't hearing the gospel. But after sitting under... Uh, um, a pastor who said from the very beginning of our church we're going to preach the gospel at every sermon i'm a one trick pony i'm a, a one hit wonder and my song is the gospel after years of that i started to go okay i can tell now when someone has preached the gospel and when i've heard good biblical teaching that is not necessarily the gospel and the, the pro it's not bad to hear teaching uh, i believe that the crave is about teaching so you'll be taught Uh, but I told you I was going to preach the gospel. And what's important about the gospel is the gospel brings you low before God. Teaching uh, equips you, but knowledge puffs up. The gospel brings you low before God. And in that low place, you are grateful to God. And as you're grateful to God, that's worship. You start to worship. The Holy Spirit comes to you and you're empowered to do the things that you've been taught. But if you're taught and you're not preached the gospel, then you're going to go out and try really hard to do the things you've been taught, and you will fail. You're going to fail. I mean, you might even do a really good job of doing the things you're taught, but when you do fail, if you haven't had the gospel sown in, then the gospel won't come out, and you will feel like a total sinner, and you will feel like you've been knocked off the tracks, and you just have to start over, and you'll you will be taken out of uh, The the momentum that God has. So, so what is the gospel? What does a gospel message sound like from this scripture? I believe that the gospel sounds like this: Jesus uh, was victorious in all of these ways that we just talked about, where Israel and where Adam were not uh, victorious. And the gospel is this: You have already been tempted in these ways, and you have already failed. In these ways. So if, if when I was teaching through this. You were thinking. Yeah I'm going to get out there. And I'm going to learn the heck out of the Bible. And I'm going to get my b- verses. That if the devil ever comes to me. I'm going to say these verses. Like that's good. But you've already failed. And you will likely fail again. So the gospel is this. Jesus conquered. He overcame. And God was so glad that Jesus did that. He saw Jesus winning and he said, yes, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he was glad that he put Jesus on the earth and he was happy about it and he wanted to shower Jesus with his love, his affection, his praise. But something else happened to Jesus. He was hung on the cross. And when he was on the cross, God poured out punishment on him. He poured out his wrath on him. He punished him for the time when Adam failed at the very thing that Jesus succeeded at. When Adam failed in the garden, Jesus was punished for it. When Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus was punished for it. And this is it. This is the key. When you failed, Jesus was punished for it. We say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We say it and say it and say it. I was on the phone with somebody who was wanting to be baptized at our church and I just asked her, how do you know you're forgiven? And she said, uh, 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 because of the Bible and that Jesus uh, was, uh, uh, died on the cross for my sins and that's true. But I said, do you realize that Jesus was actually punished for the things that you did wrong? That God saw the things you did wrong and because God is outside of time, He goes to the cross where Jesus was hung on the cross, and He punished Him for that. So you doubtless can think of some kind of sin that you've committed. Jesus was punished for that sin because we have all been tempted and we have all fallen short, we have all failed, and Jesus was punished on our behalf. I think it's really healthy. It's good to say. I don't think we use the terminology punished when we talk about Jesus, but he was punished for sin. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was being uh, crushed under this punishment from God. And of course, the glorious news is that he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death again, yet again. He conquered all of the temptation and then he conquered sin and death. When when he became sin, and you know, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So take a second and just think about that. You become the righteousness of God. He was punished for your sin, and that should just motivate you in gratitude. And once you're motivated in gratitude, you can sing things like, uh, uh, what was the song? Thank you, thank you for the cross, hallelujah. You can throw your hands up and say hallelujah. That actually means something when you've been, uh, when you, when you become grateful for what God uh, has done. So I think we've got to take, uh, we've got we to kind of shake the church lingo off of us and, and, and really realize that the gospel includes Jesus' punishment. Uh, that you do not have to hang on the cross, that you do not have to have God look away from you. And in that worshipful gratitude, the Holy Spirit comes to you, comes upon you, comes into you, and gives you the power to actually then go out into the wilderness and succeed. But it can't start there. You can't start with, I'm going to go conquer. You have to start with, I'm going to come low before God, and I'm going to be grateful for Him um, then you will be able to succeed. Then you'll be able to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So, I believe that that is the gospel message from this, uh, from these verses. Uh, so, what have we left to do now but pray and praise the Lord and you will go to your groups and I want you to ask that reflection question. That reflection question was, how do you respond to temptation? Don't respond with thinking that you're a sinner and don't respond... Uh, first and foremost with going out there to conquer. You respond to temptation with uh, lowering yourself before God and and drinking of the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us, and you're in luck. I have been tempted today. Starting this college ministry uh, makes all of my great insecurities come out. Starting this college ministry is making all of my wonderful weaknesses magnified. And, uh, and I've been tempted today to run to, what well, I don't know, like run to being angry and grumbling about this or that. No, this isn't right. That's not right. No, people are disappointed with me. So I'm going to bolster myself up. So you're going to hear me pray the way uh, that the Lord has taught me to pray, to, to, to enter in under, in under grace. God, I thank you that I can st- stand here and preach your gospel. Um, I thank you. Uh, for that so familiar feeling of uh, just being, uh, feeling overwhelmed um, and feeling tempted. And I was tempted today, God. I was tempted to run toward myself and try to make myself look good uh, in front of people because I'm afraid that they're disappointed in me or I'm afraid that I'm not doing a good job here or there. But Jesus, you did the world's greatest ministry and you... uh, you did not run uh, to what you could do or what you could perform t- in order to make people like you. In fact, you, you told people when you did amazing miracles, you told them not to talk about it. Uh, and what I want to do, God, is I want to be applauded for my good works and I want to be uh, immediately forgiven for my failures. And, but Jesus, you, uh, you uh, were in fact punished because I uh, fail at, Planning and I fail at looking after my wife and my uh, child, and uh, and I fail at prioritizing well. And you were punished for that. And so I thank you, Jesus. I just submit that me. I just submit myself to you. Um, as someone who's uh, weak and a failure, and I thank you, God, that you would call someone like me into ministry. Thank you, God, most of all, Jesus, that you would conquer in my place and that you would then trade your glory uh, for mine and you would take what I have earned and you would give me what you have earned. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you will put that in everyone's hearts here, God, that you will teach us to pray in grace. You'll teach us to pray and, and listen to and receive the gospel and believe it because your gospel is good it's very good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.